0: It's really, really interesting to see that we've been able to build that ecosystem of qualitative and high-quality input. However, it's not experts who are coming in to give this input. It's regular citizens with lived experiences.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Season 2 of Understanding the Future. I am your host, Puneet Gandhi, and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability, and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions, as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into Season 1.
2: Hello and welcome to the Season 2 of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Puneet Gandhi, and today we have with us Antara Vasudev. She is the founder of Civis, and she will help us understand about citizens in policy development process. Welcome to the show, Antara. Thanks, Puneet.
0: Thank you for having me. Excited to be
2: here. Uh, thank you. So, let's let's start our conversation with the basic question. Uh What is the process of policy development? What are we talking about when we are talking about, okay, the policy is being developed? Sure.
0: Um, that's a really interesting question, Puneet, and I think uh, policy development in India takes place through many different means. but um, the one that we can really focus on, uh, and I think NIUA also does some uh, excellent work in this domain, is really on um, legislative policy formation. How do uh, the agendas for development, agendas for economic growth, how do they translate from... Uh, agendas to actual on ground instructions that, uh, that get implemented for a certain outcome or a perceived outcome, right? Yes. So that policy creation process um, actually involves, I mean, uh, each ministry would perhaps have functionaries uh, who would be working specifically around policy development. Um, each city government, each urban government would have uh, different ministries that are working around policy development, and I think um, that is something which is uh, which is a very interesting process because oftentimes we uh, we go to think that that's a process that perhaps is out of the control or domain of the citizen, but in fact the policy comes to impact the citizen the most, and citizens have um, in that space a set of secret superpowers, as I like to call them, to actually be able to participate and engage more effectively in that process, right? Um, And I think in our experience of working in this domain, the one thing that we have seen is that uh, policy development, uh, to see fruitful and complete development of certain policies, it always helps to get feedback from the uh, beneficiary who's at the receiving end of that yeah. Um. that particular part The corporate sector does it a lot for different products, right? So yeah. it's something to think about about how we can imbibe that in the policy making space.
2: Okay, that, that's really interesting because when we are looking at policy uh, as well, then I I'm, i am, correct me if I'm wrong or something, but uh, we are looking generally the beneficiaries are citizens in one format or the other. Right? Mm-hmm. So it is being developed for them. Uh, it is developed by Different members in the legislation, their parties, and they try and based on the issues that they take it up from the people, they bring something back to the citizens so while citizens are the core of it how how much of citizen engagement does actually happen into this ecosystem because i'm under, I'm trying to see it as like uh, tech companies I don't think so we get a b testing here we are not <laughs> doing that so uh, how how does that function out?
0: Sure. So I think that's a really interesting question and um, what we have been finding over the past three years as an organization working in this space but also in, in terms of a broader landscape of how consultative efforts um, have come to be and I will use the word consultation a lot but it essentially refers to any way of engaging citizens in a legislation or policy document right. So um, over the few last few years what we've actually seen is that it's growing tremendously uh, last year alone, we saw 90 consultations come out from different government bodies. Way back in 2014, when this consultation policy had been drafted, we perhaps saw just about 13, 12 or 13, right? Okay. Um, In this year itself, up until July, we've matched I think 36 or 37 policies that have been put out for consultation. Okay. So there's a lot happening in this domain. Um. What's yet to be seen, though, is that how do you build that bridge of constructive dialogue um, between citizens and government, so that a citizen also finds out about a policy that impacts them and comes in to come, uh, come in comment or share their input or feedback, right? Yeah, that's the bridge that needs solving for
2: very importantly. Okay, and uh, yeah, so I understand, but the major issue I I feel like I have I'm now working in this sector and now I get to read a lot more policies. But my understanding again goes back that policy again has a very verbose language. It's very, and it's not made for, I somehow feel for citizens. While it is for citizens, the language is not for citizens uh, because it has different parameters that needs to be invited into it. So how can a citizen be accustomed to that language? Because a normal person will have to take up a lot of time to do any of these. So how can that function be taken up, and how can it be made more accessible or just readable for people?
0: Right. so um, interestingly, you know, uh, Puneet, this is a good time to be asking this question because as we record this, we're in the middle of a raging pandemic. And, um, citizens have become more accustomed than ever to wait for government notifications and mm-hmm. updates on whether my house is in a red zone or containment zone or yellow zone or green zone. Can I go to the gym? Can I not? Mm-hmm. And all of that is stemming from, uh, from a notification, right? Yeah. So in this past year, in fact, um, we've seen as citizens that we have to engage with the law and policy domain much more. But I see the point completely of where you're, uh, where you're coming from and, um, There's two things I'd like to share about this. One is an example, uh, and the second is the outcome of that example and why and how that shaped the directional uh, route that the organization that I work at has taken. Right. So um, the first, uh, the example is that once in 2018, we were doing a particular consultation for a certain urban local body. Now that urban local body had um, come together and, and with really great intent said that We want to design our policies for citizens, so citizens should define the KPIs for what that urban local body's um, policies or goals should achieve, right? Really, really interesting use case. Lots of people came to that particular consultation, but the second they walked into the door, the first question they asked is, what is a KPI? Because you and I are not used to that language, right, of what a key performance indicator is. And that's when you need intermediaries. Um, if, it's, if the uh, urban local body itself is able to do that, that's great. But you do need intermediaries who break down that information. And that is part of what this um, does as well. We actually source consultations from a number of different sources, be it the Gazette or government ministries. We simplify them into easy to understand language. With the aim of also creating content. So, of late, uh, on YouTube, you can find a lot of our videos around our certain policies. Um, we actually make it engaging, try and explain how, uh, that policy impacts this, the citizen. And, um, subsequent to that, only then think about collecting feedback or gathering input. Because yeah. if you don't bridge that gap of, of breaking down the information in an accessible manner, um, we can't expect somebody on the other side to give quality feedback, because they've not yeah. understood what we're asking them
2: yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh, that that is where uh, you and I was trying to refer to as well, that uh, it's, there are too many subtexts that comes into picture when you're looking at policy. And uh, I, I do agree with it, you that uh, effective communication is very important over here. And Civis is working on it. So what are some of the key challenges uh, you have seen while transfer and uh, bridging this whole gap? Or what are some of the key challenges you, that you face day to day in bridging this whole gap? Right.
0: So I think, um, just again, just to share some context, uh, Civis looks at overcoming four five key gaps in the consultation ecosystem one is um, the challenge of sourcing consultations i as a citizen may not know uh, when a consultation comes out that impacts me um, because i'm not accustomed to reading the gazette or visiting the ministry website right? um the second challenge is the one that we just spoke about which is simplifying and translating content into different uh, languages so that people can understand it more easily um, the third gap that we look to bridge is actually proactively gathering feedback from impacted communities. So rather than perhaps just publishing something and waiting for the community to find it, we actually do um, a lot of outreach, we uh, engage with different communities, and even within our work with the NIUA, we have done a lot of this where we proactively go out and seek feedback on certain consultations. Subsequent to that, we analyze all of that feedback and present it to the government in a mechanism which is... um, easy to understand for them, because at the end of the day, there are capacity and bandwidth constraints on that end as well, right? Um, So you need to synthesize disorganized feedback in a manner that uh, it makes sense for somebody uh, to actually produce that and and implement it. And the fifth thing that we do in this entire cycle is that from time to time, government bodies, think tanks, ministries, etc. would... um, want to run the consultation from start to finish right but may uh, not have the capacity to know how to do it and they reach out to us and these five steps that we have laid out we actually do uh, from start to finish in partnership with that government body um recently we've done some work with an iua as well on this which uh, has found its way into different programmatic streams but that is the entire life cycle um of what services involved in in, in some ways and when it comes to challenges, I think one of the big challenges, um, in effective communication specifically is the fact that as an organization, we are very committed to neutrality. Yeah. And that becomes a problem because it's really, um, sometimes challenging to explain how something might impact you without telling you this is how it's going to impact you, right? Yeah. Uh, in the way of, of really like communicating in a, in a neutral fashion. I think that is um, is something that my team and I tussle with a lot and they will probably have a lot of comments about this because frequently I send things back and say, No, this is not neutral, it's not going out, right? So we need to like uh be able to do it, do that effectively is um, is 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 a challenge I feel that uh we're still working to figure
2: out the solutions on. Okay. Yeah, but I I absolutely understand what you're saying because I think neutrality at the end is something that is very difficult to achieve when you are looking at it from... And every every policy will have its own pros and cons for different sets of people. Uh, So how do we... And that is where I think communication again brings back a little more emphasis eventually that how do you communicate these things how do you make it as simple as possible but as effective as possible so the five-step process you said i want to come back to that and you said that uh, currently there are they come on different ministry website and everything so how does that function like as of now uh, we don't have a system for getting all the consultations on one platform or what is it in the government ecosystem
0: Right. um there are three organizations in the not-for-profit slash private sector that would do this. um one is rgov.in, who who uh, that's an independent researcher some really fantastic work ROPS. um he really works very closely on gathering uh consultation data and has been added since 2014 when the law was just passed. So that is one source I feel like uh, we work with very closely. The second is an organization called Avantis, which um, aggregates different like legal updates, out of which public consultations form one part. And the third is um, our organization. Now, um, it's become really interesting, Puneet, to see how this entire process starts, because earlier I would say it was a, 100% effort in terms of going out, uh, accessing, you know, like doing the frequent Google searches with filters, figuring out which Gazette notification has the consultation, linking it, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Slowly, slowly, what started happening is that as our partnerships have grown and as our community has grown, um, we have members of our community who we like to call citizens. Um, we have these particular citizens come in and share consultations that they might have found in the local newspaper or that they may have come across in certain other work that they're doing. Um, We also have citizens who have sort of built scripts for us that we can just copy-paste and use to find consultations. In the work that we do, I think the power of uh, collective ownership over this process is something that really sort of inspires me to keep coming to work. But uh, our communities have been quite transformative in that way in actually bringing together information, even though... Civis cannot have its presence and, you know, go through every local newspaper or every other portal where you would have a consultation.
2: Okay. And uh, so, just to get a rough idea, how many consultations does Civis does as of now per uh, annum or something?
0: Uh, we've worked on 160 consultations at one the this is uh, reflective of two things. One is, of course, the upswing in consultation law, like consultations coming out in itself. Um, the second is in the internal team capacity and bandwidth that we've been able to uh, build over the years. But um, as of date, we have 160 laws that we work on.
2: Oh, that's, that's great to know. Then coming to again, the, the feedback side of the loop once they have taken it out uh, the consultation is in place what kind of feedback do you generally get because my assumption is also that a lot of times uh, people are just trying to talk to government entities for some reason and they just try to find a medium to talk to them they don't know if this Mm -hmm. is going to land up over there or not and that is also because of the complexity in the government ecosystem that people might not generally understand so what kind of things do you generally get as a feedback? Is it direct feedback, indirect or do you have to decipher the feedback? How does that function?
0: Right. So, um, very interestingly, we actually get very technical input from even regular citizens. There was a transgender law that came out for consultation in May 2020 where Um, members of the transgender community had actually taken a look at the form that the law was proposing, one of the appendices appendices, and um, they had literally said that in this form put the comma after this point rather than putting it here change this question to be from x to y so that members of the transgender community can respond more effectively. Just to give you an example, um, don't include the surname because oftentimes members of the transgender community have uh, been estranged from their families and may not have uh, a compulsory surname. Right? Uh, Sometimes it goes right down to that that domain. In fact, currently, um, we have a consultation on uh, live streaming of court proceedings where, again, People have gone into the bandwidth specifications of what cameras should be used, how should it be streamed, what uh, quality should be uh, put out Right, So it's really, really interesting to see that we've been able to build that ecosystem of qualitative and high quality input. However, it's not experts who are coming in to give this input. It's regular citizens with lived experiences. And I think um, that's really the niche that uh, that we want to focus on as an organization because I think that's the piece which is the most. I want to say pure uh, in some senses. I can't quite find the yeah, word yeah. for it, but it's the it's the input which is the most um,
2: natural and maybe something on the lines of uh, directly uh, usable on ground. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that does make a lot of sense, and I think that. Should also evolve with time that with more and more people are able to do it. I think then your, uh, kind of, uh, organization also becomes a central entity between government and NGOs of certain sort because I'm assuming that a lot of NGOs would be taking up, uh, would like to take up such things, but they might be able to do it via consultations in a much better way. So how, how do you then? Uh, No, so that is where the question was coming from, that how do you try to manage both sides of the equation because uh, they are very different uh, ecosystems in general and they have a very different uh, set pattern things that they do. So how do you try to aggregate information as well as disseminate the same? Right. Um, Interesting question.
0: So I think a lot of that comes down to understanding different motivations. Um, And I would go so far as to say that we actually work with uh, a circle of uh, perhaps four entities, right? Citizen government, um, media, and civil society. Um, And from our perspective, the way that we view it, I'd I'd like to sort of build the imagery of a gear, right? Like multiple gears in a system that need to work together for the machine to be able to move forward. Um, And that is how we kind of view the interplay now it is uh it is a difficult challenge. it's not easy um, but we do work very proactively um to build these partnerships to speak to organizations that are uh, that we're trying to reach out to to get their input on certain uh consultative processes and really understand a felt felt need that Civis as an organization can help with because we understand also that um civil society organizations and others run with their own pressures right. Yeah. If they're not directly impacted by the policy, they're not going to want to participate or, uh, gather feedback, no matter how important it is. Yeah. Um, so, and we appreciate that because tomorrow if somebody comes to service and asks us to do something completely out of our mandate, I, I would hesitate
3: to yeah. take that up. Yeah. Um,
0: so I think we, we completely appreciate that. And I think the, the, key is I'm figuring out what are those low-barrier interactions, what is the low-cost, high-return on investment partnerships that we can um, build with these different entities to really be able to uh, make the most of uh, this
2: process. Yeah. And uh, so, at the same time, I I do feel that there would be uh, the the system coming up and uh, you are trying to interact with the government and government trying to take out the consultative processes what kind of capacity building is required on that end? Because I think that is also a big challenge in itself and uh, they have to understand that. They have to get the feedback and again put it in the loop. So, what kind of capacity building things that you would have to take care of in those lines?
0: Right. So, um, essentially, at the stage where consultation is at right now, what we try and do is provide an end-to-end service, right? Um, Because we understand that... uh, Capacity is limited to the extent that we may not be able to actually get adequate participation, uh, in the operations of a consultation. Um, and there are, like, there are a number of operations, right? You have to design the consultation. You have to see how you want to disseminate information. Who are your key stakeholders? How do you reach out to them? Follow-ups. All of that, uh, all of that stuff. It does uh, take a lot of initiative and, um, at the moment, there isn't any dedicated consultation personnel in most ministries, right? Yeah. Um. So, if we don't have a dedicated resource who is in charge of looking into the process, but at the same time, we have um, an increasing percentage of, of laws. Like, the number of policies has increased by, I think, if I'm not wrong, by about 111% year on year, right? Okay. So... Um, <laughs> uh that is uh, that's a little bit of a challenging statistic but what our primary aim is at this point in time is really to build capacity so that we um, are able to illustrate the value of consultation yeah and show the full potential of what consultations can be and as an organization we have provided for that um maybe five or six years down the line, you can plug and play certain pieces of civil society infrastructure or, uh, you can do your own independent consultations with certain guidelines. Um and that's really the end goal, right? I mean, I think every, every civil society organization works to be obsolete. Um, yeah. our, our sort of nirvana is where you don't need us anymore. <laughs> but, uh, I think, uh, I think the idea is that, um it's a long-term horizon and, at right now, we need to do the full cycle, not yep. just for government, for partners, but also for ourselves so that we're learning on the fly on how consultation methodology can be developed in the Indian context. Because yep. if you look at it, um, the countries that actually do most civic technology work or most consultations are um, France, Taiwan, um, developed economies, high mobile penetration, um, also very homogenous language identity, which is an okay. important Um, But when it comes to the the global south in general, India in particular, we do have a lot of heterogeneity, which is our strength. Um, And the idea is we need to develop, we need to take the best practices globally and develop methodologies that work for us in our context. Mm -hmm. And I think that's um, something that we are really keen uh, to do and work. through. Mm
2: -hmm. No, absolutely. And uh, I think... uh, we as a country also have heterogeneity everywhere and we do have to acknowledge uh, it everywhere while going and that surely makes it difficult. Uh, do you think technology uh, plays a big enabler in this or can we still work without technology to figure out and get such kind of consultations in a better way? Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So see, I think you you use the right phrase in that technology is an enabler. No amount of technology we apply to the solution is going to solve for it independently, right? Yeah. It's just going to enable us to be able to scale the solution. So the example that I like to give sometimes when uh, we're asked this question is that today we have citizens in 242 cities and towns across India, right? Yeah. Um, We have a really large presence of people who... He as an organization can mobilize to do on ground consultations in their locality. Right? Like if we want to gather feedback from, uh, say, there's a vendor for street, uh, I mean, there's a policy for street vendors. Yeah. If we want to gather feedback, we have the ability to reach out to that disparate network and actually collect input from a wide geography. Yeah. Right? Um, that would not have been possible had we not had a technology interface because we would have never been discoverable. Neither would we have been able to reach that stage where our own team would be present in in a number of these areas, right? Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of use cases um, that propagate the inclusive and accessible use of technology, and I think that is something that's important to to think about in this problem. Like for example, um, Grambani, which is an organization that works uh, on voice based communication in rural parts of India. Yeah. has done some exceptional work on enabling two-way uh, communication, right? Um, the question is that is their is there tool set something that is relevant to the consultation domain? Yeah. Would it make it easier if we started doing consultations on WhatsApp, for example, or Telegram? Yeah. Those are all questions that we need to ask because it's important also to lower the barriers for participation and technology really helps with that. Absolutely.
2: And uh, that is... That is where I think heterogeneity also is easier to break. And uh, as you were saying, like uh, there are certain policies where you need different kind of consultations. So how difficult that it becomes when you have to consider a lot, much uh, complications and uh, not complications. Uh, that would be a wrong word, but just all different regions of India, if you have to take or all different states, because every state will have a different condition and different set patterns or different use cases of the same policy. So how does that function out then?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So I think um that's an interesting question. I'd mm-hmm. like anyone who's interested in exploring this to I mean to actually look at this recent report that Apti Institute, which is a Bangalore based think tank had done, um they were assessing uh what are the different ways in which citizens can access public services and utilities in in, uh, different cities, right? And interestingly, what they found is that there is in every place an offline architecture or an offline um, network, if you call it, that helps people access their entitlements or helps people access different utilities with the central government, right? Or um, if, for example, paying property tax, getting uh, some sort of a registration done, um there is an offline architecture in every place that enables that. The tricky yeah. part is that the offline architecture differs from place to place. It might be SAGs in Telangana, but it could be volunteers, student volunteers in Bangalore, it could be um in, in Mumbai, it could it's oftentimes I'm sure political volunteers who are uh yeah. you know, party members who are at the ground level. And it's really interesting to think about that challenge because a lot of our work has been um we, we use Mumbai as a ground for experimentation because our team is based here and we have networks here as well. Um, but it's the, it's really interesting to see what those experimented experiments really yield. Especially during the pandemic, we've seen how we can mobilize volunteer communities over Zoom calls like this one, right? Yeah. And actually get credible data from different sources on one. Um, it is difficult. It's also An interesting challenge because um, there isn't any set sample methodology for this, right? Um, You can have a stratified sort of sampling methodology, but representative samples in every case are not always viable or feasible, right? Um, So I think that is uh, again another area of work and one of the focus areas for this year is to figure out what is that mix. It can create yeah. that we can perhaps utilize for different policies, and order that we are getting added.
2: Yeah, and it's a. Uh, this is, this is, this gets more and more interesting for me, for sure, because, uh, I, I do enjoy the portion where you have, you know, collaborations coming along from different sides as well as community engagement and stuff like that. But at the same time, when we are talking about feedbacks that have come in now, and as you said that, with the kind of different, different, uh, groups that support this whole process, uh, there can be a lot of bias as well on the lines of what are the suggestions and how these suggestions are put into place. Uh, so how does that f- feedback turn into insight for the ecosystem or for the government departments or anyone? Because I'm I'm not sure like how, how do we take out biases or how do we not take out biases? And how does that function out?
0: Right. So see, I think from... The way to think about it, at least for us, is that we represent every, or we present every feedback that, uh, point of feedback that is coming to civils um, in its original form, right? Um, however, on top of that, what we do do is a little analysis to understand what is being said. Um, sometimes we have quantitative questions that we ask over qualitative questions, and sometimes it's uh, long text answers, right? So the idea is not to say that the Feedback should not be read. That is anyway, um, provided verbatim, uh, the way that citizens would come in and report it to us, um, to government authorities. However, what we can do is provide that layer of intelligence on top of that to say, hey, here be prepared for what is coming. This is what is coming. And in that sense, uh, we're very, especially careful that, uh, we don't take any point of view ourselves. We're not a consulting agency in the sense that we may not be able to come in and tell you, okay, this is, this is what you need to do next. And this is the policy action part that you need to do next, because that then rests on our subjectivity and our understanding of the problem, right? True. Um, but what we are able to do is to give intelligent pointers from sense that, that then can be taken into the process, however one feels.
2: Absolutely true. And, uh, so again, I'm, I'm not sure if this directly aligns or not, but then do we, does civis or how does just the macro and micro picture of any policy come into play while macro might have certain obligations that that might be required uh micro might not function in the same fashion because uh, your direct implementation might not have the same impacts that you would want so in that case, how does the feedback function out and uh, can do you get generally feedback on both macro and micro perspective of a policy
0: so um I think uh, the transgender rules, again, is a good example on this front, right? Uh, There was the bill itself, which had come out for consultation. There were the rules that had come out for consultation subsequently as well. Um, In that way, I think uh, it's one of the... uh, the sort of ways of looking, the, looking at the micro and macro problem, even though yeah. micro in this country still applies to 1.2 billion all citizens. Right? So, but no, I'm just joking. Um, Essentially, I think um, it's... Uh, there is a lot of review that is happening, even post-legislation. And it's very, very important because... Um, oftentimes the policy directive that the policy or the vision that the policy sets out uh, is a little bit intangible to the person who it impacts, whereas the rules and the the guidelines of how to implement are more tangible and actually do get a lot of good feedback, right? So I think it's very important in both stages to consult. Um, When it comes to implementation, I think our... uh, hypothesis around that is um, how much are we empowering the citizen to be able to uh, understand a particular law, be involved with the process and actually uh, work to support the process of implementation, right? Yeah. Um, because what tends to happen right now is that uh, we might read about a right or entitlement in the news, but um, if my feedback has actually made that entitlement something that is friendly, I take ownership over that, uh, that particular uh, perspective, right? And I, I might talk to other people about it. I might uh, try and help other citizens. There are different ways we'll in which the citizens themselves um, will engage with information that is provided to them. And I think um, we as an organization would sort of draw a boundary there to say that that's what we can be involved we can be involved in providing that information and making sure that people are involved in the process. But beyond that, when it goes to implementation, uh, there are a lot of exceptional organizations out there, like In This Action, uh, with these entrepreneurial policies policy. A lot of them are working around these uh, these areas, and best left to them to to sort of focus on that approach. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh so one of the last questions that then I would like to ask you is uh what would be your feedback to government organizations to consider as well as for citizens to consider uh in this whole process? Uh what can they do to make this process a better process in each of the cases?
0: Um I'll I'll think the the um I don't know if this analogy helps, but I often think of government and citizen as siblings, right? Um, we're working towards the same goal, we're reared from the same place. And oftentimes in any functional sibling relationship, you will be constructively critical of your sibling. And that applies both ways, right? But at the end of the day, you know that your sibling is your blood and you are kind of uh, driven to to be uh, together in in every initiative that you undertake, right? I think there's no right way to do consultations. There's no right way to kind of figure it out. But at the same time, what does help is um, each seeing the other as a thing who you're kind of working alongside rather than working against and i think that's something that's um that really does especially from the citizens perspective can really play a transformative role in ensuring more effective consultation and ensuring that there is a lot more constructive dialogue around this process
2: absolutely i, I agree that uh, if that happens more and more we can surely have uh, policies which are more inclusive on a lot of different aspects uh, and that would make a lot of uh, change as well uh, to the system. Uh, So coming to the last question that we generally ground all our conversations around is that uh, now we have seen that the kind of things that are required to do in this field, what are some of the skill sets you think are really essential for the kind of work do you do or people who want to work in this uh, area where they are between citizens and uh, government as a stakeholder and trying to help in uh, developing policies?
0: Right. So I think um, a couple of things that that have been relevant or that I have learned through this journey. Um, The first is actually being able to think from a systemic perspective rather than an intervention perspective. Right. Um. What that means is that uh, to have the skill set to be able to see the pic, the larger picture from like sixty or you know sixty thousand feet or like space or something, <laughs> something that you need to be able to do, to be able to see how different actors engage with one another. Anybody working in this space, um, and in the governance space as a whole, no matter where you're coming at it from, um governance is not linear, it's not singular in its perspective, it involves and encompasses a lot of different actors in society and I think um, that lens of looking at problems from a systemic perspective rather than an intervention perspective is something that is that is really crucial. I don't think there is a school for this (laughs) unfortunately, I don't think there is uh, any program that can teach this but um, there are... uh, other mentors, uh, other founders who can actually help with that journey. The other, um, the second thing that uh, that I think is really relevant from a future perspective, um, and it's just a good skill set to have, irrespective of where you are, is the ability for a person to um, pitch their work and actually raise support. Fundraising, I think, is one, uh, one key skill that uh, we're never really taught. But it is exceptionally important because, um, it really can drive, drive your work very meaningfully. So, um, if there were two skills, I think, uh, systems thinking and fundraising, I would, I'd like to pitch to that. Um, technology also is an important skill, but I don't come from a technical background myself. Um, I know enough uh, technology to be able to. I actually don't know enough technology to be able to guide my team, also. <laughs> but the point is that uh, the point is that if you understand where how the system moves, understanding what you need to move it, which is the technology, is uh, a very simple ball game. And at that point, figuring out what it was you need to pull is very easy, right? Uh, and that doesn't have to come from a technology background. I don't need to know like. Uh, node.js or ruby to, to figure yeah. out the logic of how something needs to be built yeah. and um, so from that perspective i think uh, systems thinking and fundraising are the two key skills that i've learned along my journey Thanks so and much I, to learn,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree like i think those are certain skill sets that even i am now using it or learning it over the past couple of years and i think it's just a black hole of knowledge over there like you you just keep on getting engrossed into it and it's fun as well uh thank you so much this this has been an amazing conversation for sure and i have learned a lot of new things do you have any thoughts uh, or any things that i have missed out and you would like to talk about?
0: Uh, no, no, thank you. I think this has been a really fun conversation for me as well and I really enjoyed answering your questions pretty deep. <laughs> so <laughs> I did my best to kind of condense those answers. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here.
2: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure that our audience is also going to enjoy it uh, as much as I have done it.
1: Thank you, Anwar. You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, check out our website www.niua.org slash c-q. The show is conceptualized, produced and edited by Puneet Gandhi, Senior Associate at CQ. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel, which can be accessed through the credits. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode.